Welcome to today's episode of CLCI Live, brought to you by the award-winning and ICF-accredited school, Certified Life Coach Institute. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode. We are live. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hello, 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 and welcome to another week. We are going to be going over core competency, ICF core competency number eight, Numero Ocho. I'm going to turn it over to Jerome and go away for a minute, but I'll be back. Hello, everybody. And yes, we are going to complete the four-part series of the updated core competencies uh, explanation by us. And we will be doing number eight today, which is uh, facilitating client growth. So we usually hop in, but we do have Dan joining us today. So if I can just give him one second to say hi to everyone. Hi, everyone. Goodbye, there Dan. You go. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> Amazing, dazzling introduction. So without further ado, we will go ahead and hop in because this one is pretty pretty meaty. So we want to go ahead and get in early. Um, and I will start by defining it. So the definition of facilitates client growth is partners with the client to transform learning and insight into action, promotes client autonomy and the coaching process. So this seems like it's the this is the whole point of coaching. Like this is where every core competency leads to all of that other stuff is great on its own, but um, without this last point, it's not really coaching if there's no action involved. You're just sort of having conversation and saying goodbye and waiting for the next conversation to happen. So this seems like probably the most important one. Well, the part that adds to the importance as you're speaking, Anthony, is that it's the client's job to make the growth and the action step. Mm -hmm. And that definition kind of just leads to that concept where it's reaffirmed that they, the client, they are having that uh, transformation and learning and insight into that action. When it adds to uh, promote the client's autonomy, which means living and breathing without us, on the outside so that they can continue that growth process. And there's also a space in here of the transformation, transforming the learning in the definition and insight into action. Not every session has an action step. So the question there, if we've done a, I hate the word now, but the, an unpacking session where a lot of stuff has come forward, it's about asking what's the learning that comes from that and how will you apply the learning going forward, not necessarily what's your next action step. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be considered the action step then to maybe, oh, for next session or until next session, think about what did, what did you, the client, get from talking about this? What did you learn and how can you apply it? Um, even if it's not really like, oh, this is a thing that I can do to achieve X, Y, and Z goal. Um, it's still something that the client can do. It I could just be a level of awareness of how, now that you know this thing from this conversation, how are you going to show up differently from this moment forward? I think that too, we, um, I think we should uh, start to do the points because I think I as we yes. normally do, this will, a lot will come forward as we, we go through them. Yeah. Um, so uh, Jerome or Lisa, do you want to read the first point? Yeah, let's give it to Lisa. Go ahead and read off the first one. Works with the client to integrate new awareness, insight, or learning into the worldview and behaviors. 
see the the problem is the reason I read them is because I don't I'm, I am not an auditory so learner. It's, it's about <laughs> like that awareness piece. That. <laughs> it's that awareness piece that we were just speaking about it as far as that definition. It's helping that client come to who they are and what they want, where they want to go, and what they need along the way, and how do they want to behave from there, right? integrate mm-hmm. new awareness, insight, or learning into their worldview and behaviors. So let's, I think that end part is kind of interesting, right? That promotes client, or wait, sorry, uh, inter, or insight or learning into their worldview or and behaviors. That's kind of but, leading into beliefs, don't we think? Could be. Yeah. If we, uh, maybe they came up against the limiting belief, realized that it was yeah. false. And now they're, what's the new thing that's replaced it? And how do they begin being different in the world now that the limiting belief has been weakened or removed? Mm-hmm. It's that, I think a little bit applying, taking that, well, this is what I did in the session. This thing that I do in the session is not exclusively in the set. It's to be applied to real life and taken with me. And, and um, hopefully, you know, we can, you can have a great session and then do nothing with it, but it's, it's that, that bringing it into the real world kind of piece, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's why that question at the end of the session that we drive we drive home so hard in level one and level two, asking the client, what is your takeaway from this? That they have to speak the learning because in speaking the learning, then they become aware of it and ideally carry it forward with our next question of how do you apply it? I think a lot of coaches or untrained coaches will start telling them what they're supposed to do and what they, their takeaway is. Whereas what we're talking about is having the client be responsible and share that information. This seems like, like it would be a very difficult step for the client because if you've accumulated years of habits and behaviors that reinforce this limiting belief, you can always learn something or know something that to be true in the session and think in your head, okay, this is really how it is. But getting that to feel that way and to act that way in the real life, that seems like where there might be problems outside of the coaching session for the client. Um, so I guess working to integrate that is probably a big portion of how can I live this in my life day to day? What I learned, um, and not um, give up, I guess. Well, that's where the baby steps kind of thing, right? And the forgiveness, and why that's such an important piece with coaching is that that um, you know we understand that our clients will have missteps, or or you know they're gonna. That's part of the process, part of the learning, and and that forgiveness piece and forgiving yourself is critical as well. Um, are they missteps, or are they steps that were just misunderstood? Well, who, side steps maybe, or a, a tap dance, who knows? <laughs> well, and many of the steps that we do take, which is what Dan's pointing out, lead to unknown future uh, directions that we didn't realize that these steps were going to help in that future uh, place. Well, there's no such thing as mistakes. They're just learning opportunities and accelerators to change. It's <laughs> true. That's true. <laughs> However, when I when I think of our students, when they a lot of the times they come back, they're they're so afraid to make a mistake that they want to do it perfectly. They stay in their head more often 
than just to get into the natural cadence of being curious and inquiring and finding out and pulling that information from our clients, their clients. So being afraid of mistakes is a mistake. <laughs> yes, exactly. Boom! <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, we, shall we try out number two now? Are we yeah, feeling yeah, like this might be a good thing? Uh, anybody else want to take a turn reading number two? Go ahead. So before we do, in, in the space of it, I'd like to ask Anthony, in, in that awareness that being afraid of mistakes is a mistake, what did you learn in making that statement? <laughs> I learned and I'll try to integrate into my life that if I'm afraid of making a mistake, that's a good signal that I should just Quit. go for whatever it is I'm trying to go for. That's that's my flag that says, okay, green is go, go for this because you're afraid. So I'm not trying to eliminate the fear of mistakes. I'm trying to use that fear as a signal to go head first. Right. If, if you yeah. are uncaring, you're just going to do it any which way. But because you are a caring soul, you want to do it in a way that has a positive result in your view. But your ability to push through it anyways, push through the fear and do it anyways. Very cool. And what positive result? Well, we're not going to get into that. That could go could go down a rabbit hole right there. So I'm just going to avoid the rabbit hole and let's go to number two, shall we? <laughs> um, I'll read it this time. <laughs> Partners with clients to design goals, actions, and accountability measures that integrate and expand new learning. When we say partner, can someone help me explain that? Just because I believe that that can be misinterpreted pretty harshly. Can like I'm someone... dating my, my, my client. Like, <laughs> in, this context, in this specific context, when we're talking about partnering with the client, especially when we're speaking about designing goals and actions, what does that I think mean? Whoever, whoever wrote the copy for this just had to find another word for works. Yes, I have been there. Okay. I have been in this seat of like trying to find words that are not help. Um, uh, and it's actually, there, there should be more of these in the English language, I feel like, because there, I really don't feel like there are enough um, because there, the options are sparse. But uh, we're here to hopefully kind of shake free of some of that muddy waters there. So in this specific context, what do you guys think partners? I mean, like earthquake. <laughs> what happened there? Sorry, uh, I've got short cables and I hit them by mistake. <laughs> and it went crashing. <laughs> um, so that partnering concept, a lot of the, you're right, Anthony, a lot of times people, uh, coaches get that misconstrued as they'll start prescribing what their clients ought to be doing and what we are is more of that uh, place. You know, somebody has said, well, we're like a empty vessel. We're like a um, flower vase and you pour into the flower. Okay, yes, whatever that is, the correct term is we're not going to come in and say, here's what you do. We're going to pull that information from our clients, pulling that information out, we're going to gather all kinds of information, data, fear, um, emotions, happy, sad, mad, you know, all of that comes out. So as they're speaking and we're doing our coaching thing, that's how we're partnering with them by asking questions, staying present with them, following their patterns of what they're sharing and reflecting that back. So they're able to hear what they're saying 
and either agree or disagree or contemplate <laughs> the direction they want to go with that. Would you add something different, Dan? Yeah, yeah and I think, and I think the, the, while well, the, the word partner can have some gray to it, that the words that aren't there are exactly what you were talking about. Mm -hmm. We're not leading, we're not directing, we're not mm -hmm. prescribing, we're not choosing for, we're pulling it out of them and asking the partnership here comes in and getting maybe some of the specifics or getting the emotion that's connected to it for the client, but not telling them what it is. Yeah. yeah. It's like the, the, I want to be rich statement. So we talk about, it's like, what does that mean? What does it mean? I, I need to do this thing. Tell me what that means to do that thing. So it's bringing all these sort of heady, sort of out there abstract goals that they have and asking what are, what does it look like in the real world to you? How can you identify it? Um, and then with the accountability measures as well, like how are you going to keep yourself accountable um, to either you, the coach or people in their the client's life to keep them on track? Because I think accountability is probably a big part of people keeping to these goals it is and there's a big there's a big thing there that i actually got a note on in one of my pcc calls in between sessions the coach is not the accountability partner hmm. in session we're the accountability partner but at the end of a session if we close and say how can i best support you moving forward that question in the way it's worded at least according to one icf reviewer that reviewed my call said the coach was creating dependency on the client by asking it in that way. That's, that's um, interesting to know. Cause I've heard some people say like some people, when they run their coaching business say, Oh, you get unlimited text and email to, you know, keep up with me and be accountable. But maybe that might not be the best thing to do anymore. It might offer a space between if they need it. Um, so I'm how do they say, hold themselves? I'm Go ahead. Say no. I'm going to say, no. say if they tap back into you and hold themselves accountable to that and they're sharing with you. But if you're tapping back in with them, I think that's where the mistake is. Okay, I see. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not like you're constantly checking up on them. You're letting them right. come to you. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, you know, they have, if you're going to put that into your coaching agreement where they can come into you, come to you in between, then you put X amount of times, right? So you still hold yeah. boundary and space for that. Not that they can just any time do that. Well, and that's because that could add up to your time really quick, especially given, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's okay if it's a yes or no answer or short, something quick you can get out. Mm -hmm. But if it's anything that is prolonged, um, it could be, uh, I mean, the length of a session in between sessions. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, uh, Number three, shall we? Yeah. Yes. Acknowledges and supports client autonomy in the design of goals, actions, and methods of accountability. So that's that. This is that autonomy autonomy piece, which uh, is some of what we just were were talking about. That tapping back in with us, the autonomy. If we're <laughs> tapping in with them and checking to see how it's going, where's the autonomy in that piece, and how are they going to be self reliant? Right. Neuron, yeah. they call it. Yeah. One of the things we always say at CLCI is don't work harder than your client. Don't, don't, 
do more than your client is doing to help them. So actually, they should be doing all the work, really. Um, <laughs> you should just be there uh, asking questions and being curious. <laughs> um, but and and that's that's that. I mean, that it carries on. You go on with that and think, you know, don't be attached to outcomes. Don't be um, work harder than your client. Don't be putting more care, concern and um, uh, goal setting <laughs> into it than your client is, essentially. Let them go out and be and do and then learn about it when they come back. Right. That space between mm -hmm. not talking to them leaves leaves the ability to be curious, too, I would think in the next session. You know, if you don't know what happened between that automatically gives you guys something to talk about to start with. Um, I would think, right? Um, so, sorry, go ahead, Lisa. Anytime that there is an appointment, there's already work being done. So having that, even just having that appointment be set is a kind of an accountability piece as well because they know you're going to ask them about it. Especially with the payment thing too. I mean, this is one of the things we talk about is, is that's one of the reasons why charging for your services as a life coach is a good thing because it's holding them accountable too. It's saying, okay, this goal is worth money or, you know, the work here is, it has value to me. And, it, and that applies to, we'll, we'll carry through the work as well. The fact that they know they've spent money here will have them put more time and energy into the work of the process as well. Am I wrong there? <laughs> no, it's an investment. That's that's one of the big things in conversation in a slightly different space of it. Coaching is an investment in their life, not a spend. It's not an expense. Mm -hmm. What's the difference? The difference is they see an improvement and a return on the investment where a spend is, I had a chocolate bar and that was nice and sweet. That was good. And it's gone. And tomorrow it's something that else. Bar, there's a return on investment. It's brief. It's that short term payoff. It's over here. And not to go tomorrow. It's what? Just saying. But well, an investment into life growth. It's it's bigger you can have more chocolate bars that's why whenever i buy things like like clothes i'm investing in my my wardrobe it's an investment <laughs> that way <laughs> makes everything feel better <laughs> um <laughs> i would like to ask since we do have dan here i know we the i think it was the last live stream we did we asked the question since we're talking about autonomy here um is it the goal of a life coach to no longer be of service to their client. Yeah, basically. To me, it is, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, or at least not be, how do I want to say this? To a point where they are not dependent on us. And if in six months, if we've, if we've reached the first level of growth for them, six months or a year later, they come back because they've grown and they're up against the next bubble of the comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Sure, come on back in. But okay. it's not about this continuous, continuous engagement. I was just, you know, it's funny, I was just talking about this topic um, uh, and we were talking about how there's that like always, always in my mentor taught me always be training your replacement, right? You're always training the person so that you can keep moving forward and, and growing, but you don't want to leave a deficit behind when you do. So like um, any company I work with, any any client I have, if, if I no longer work with them, I don't want them to go fail without me. I want them to thrive because that that is an indication that the work we had together is doing well still and they're building on top of it. So it's um, I, I would never, ever want my clients to be at a deficit without my presence at all. Mm -hmm. That would break my heart. 
Uh, but there, there's, there's that need to be needed, right? We all suffer from that a bit. That like, like I, I want to matter. I want to be irreplaceable. But it's a, it's an ego check, but very uh, good one when we humble ourselves. I think and and be willing to not be in the picture. <laughs> I would also make the argument that coaches work best when there's sort of a narrow, narrower band of expertise. Um, so I might be a bit skeptical of a coach who is a relationship coach and also a business coach and also a spiritual coach and this and that kind of coach where they have all these different things. That's not telling me that they're specialized in one area. Um, whereas, I will say, go ahead. Um, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. I say, whereas if you're a coach who specializes in one area, you're probably going to get more clients because you found your niche. But once you've worked through a goal, a client might have goals they have in other areas of life, maybe refer them to another coach that you know that specializes in that area. And that's a good way to build networks because people will will refer clients to you that way if you specialize in a certain area. There's that. And there's also the idea that while we specialize, nothing happens in a vacuum. Exactly. That's what I was going to say is that we are whole people. So at some point it's all probably going to come up. It's, you know, uh -huh. business yeah. and per we're not so compartmentalized that we only can focus on one thing and it doesn't affect other parts of our life. But I, to Anthony's point though, um, you, you can be very specific. I mean, you're, you want to be specific and working with that ideal client and working in specific areas. And I think it's a great idea to have a referral network. You know, maybe if that client walking through the door, is not at all something you would typically work with, find somebody, you can refer them to somebody that, that you would, um, or that would work with them. I should say, uh, there's enough for everybody, right? Share and share alike. <laughs> um, I firmly believe that. So, I think that's a, now we can, we've sort of got off from the point. Oh, yeah, we completely redirect. I was, I was just going to bring us back there. Number four. Supports the client in identifying potential results or learning from identified action steps. What do you think is going to happen? What What is the potential outcomes from choosing this path of action? I Yeah, I want to talk about the learning from identified action steps. What does that mean? Learning. I, I would say putting your client in a space where they imagine that outcome coming to fruition and them kind of going through that process of, is this going to work just based on the things that we did speak about. And uh, my understanding of if I were to take this step um, in whichever direction that I do take that step in, my understanding of whether that's going to work or not. Well, if you got and even the learning around actually doing those steps, because they will gather information and emotion and experience around that actual step. So the imagine is going to help with the setup, but getting out there and doing it, they'll have a different experience. I cut you off, Dan. No, you were right. That's a perfect. It's um, so I think of a client I had a couple years ago who set an action step at the end of our first session. And when they came in a week later, they had had half of it done. And they felt like they were um, they were a failure because they only got half of what they had committed to done. You, you said, absolutely, you are. Get out of my office. Said, Dude, you're fired. Get out. Done. Um, <laughs> going to lunch. See you later. So as we as we talked through it, realized what what did they learn from? not getting it done and it was that they put too much on their plate they tended to th they they love to think really big but then they stressed themselves out didn't give themselves enough time to really 
think it through. And so they, they pulled back a little bit in their goal setting and actually found that got them further ahead. I think too, this can be in the space of um, identify because it says identified action steps. So maybe it, while that is in the work, I think you can also learn from thinking through the process, right? So I'm thinking, okay, because sometimes we haven't, sometimes if, if we're, we're jumping on lily pads, going from one to the, get to the last lily pad, we all, we sort of want to start on lily pad five, but we find ourselves on five and we don't have the tools. So we have to go to lily pad three or four, three, two, one. And so sometimes by just identifying what those lily pads are, you can then learn, okay, this is the right path. I think maybe I should tweak or turn it here. And that's just sort of talking through the actual process. Cause we can have ideas and they can be all out here, but then talking through the action can, you can actually learn a lot from that. I think I would say. And we can also ask into it of like, help me understand how this action steps gets you closer to your goal. And then they're oh. speaking into the journey a little bit more and seeing, cause we might think they're taking a, they're taking a jump to the right and they're actually taking a jump forward in their way. I will say too, like have tools like SWOT analysis and stuff are great in this too, because you can, or even like a do delegate, delete list kind of thing where you can where you can look at it all and go and go okay this is what i can do this is what i can delegate this is what i don't really need to do because sometimes we can get mired in the details and and we we can just have somebody else do it or maybe we, should, we don't even it's not even necessary right especially as business owners we can get stuck in these little meticulous things when when really probably we should, we don't need to be doing that there's somebody else who can or or or, or uh, it doesn't need to be done at all um, but we can be very kind of micromanagey. <laughs> I don't know who suffers from this. Not me. No. <laughs> not me. No, never. Not me. <laughs> um, but I think though, this learning through that is. I mean, this is that 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 really. I mean, I think this is probably for me one of the most valuable things that you can get out of coaching is that learning, that safe space to talk it through too, and have a sounding board. Um, numero cinco, por favor, <laughs> en español. <laughs> me out. Got me there. Five. That's number five. Mm-hmm. Who's reading? Uh, invites the client to consider how to move forward, including resources, support, and, and potential barriers. So again, that's like action again, right? But that's, we're bringing the resources into it this time. Uh, I interrupted you, Anthony. Uh, so, so maybe um, if you are an expert in some sort of niche or area, this is where you can sort of come forward a little bit and use your knowledge. Nope. No? Wrong answer. Well, not In the sense of tools or available things to use. So... Not like, oh, this is what you should do, but oh, here are the tools and resources that I know that you could choose for. No, you are turning into a consultant right there. You have just morphed into a consultant. You are no longer a coach. <laughs> can we can we shut off his feed? I know, right? Three strikes. Hi, Anthony. <laughs> so it's what resources do you need along the way? What are the things that you have already in place? What do you know you need to get? What are the possible unknowns that we can discover here in our discussion? What does the steps to 
follow through with finding out all of that uh, concept. Can we take a moment and, and acknowledge how beautiful Lisa's hair looks, by the way? <laughs> Just wanted a little side note there. Thank you. Um, Get back to work. <laughs> So, um, well, and this is, so that is, it's easy. This is actually something our students struggle with a lot is they will look, they're like, but wait, what if I have a book or I have a technique or I have a, and what is your answer to them, Dan, typically? (laughs) Not at first. Mm -hmm. Get the client into problem solving mode. Our job is to help the client be self-reliant, not to give them the resource, get them into problem solving mode, tap them out get them into what I call mental muscle failure. And then if you have a resource that you think might help, because we don't know, you think it might. Cautiously. Cautiously. May I, may I share. Nine to one. They've got to come up with nine ideas. Okay, Mm -hmm. I made that number up. But the point is they've got to do some work. They've got to do the heavy lifting before we run to their rescue. And that's what we're doing when we give them that information. Sue Bowles has a question, but guys, do we want to answer Sue's question? Yeah, uh, I'll just finish on really quick. So what we're doing with what what Lisa was just sharing there, the the nine things, we're helping them to build a new neural network of problem solving. That's our job. Not to say, here, here, read this book or go do this spreadsheet. We can do that with Google. But it was funny, we were, uh, we were talking to potential facilitators. One of the questions we asked is this question, like, but I have all this advice and I have, what's my value? How do you respond to that? And a great answer said, well, if if you want to give advice, you better have a lot of insurance. (laughs) And I was like, oh, that's fantastic. (laughs) Where did we hear that from? I don't want, anyway. Dirty Harry. Yeah. So Sue says, uh, one thing I run run into, and I'm still working through, how do you present options and exercises without being leading or being homework? Well, you are leading when you're presenting it to them, right? Mm-hmm. So the way to do it is ask them what they can do between now and next session that supports the direction that they're moving in. But that's after you have, you know, I use this statue concept. I go, imagine the statue. What's around the statue? What's above the statue? What's below the statue? What is the shadow doing with the statue? So all of these concepts we're talking about and that potential um, direction that they're working towards. And then now that you've uncovered all of this, what's, what's going to support you between now and next session? Your findings. If I can, um, I'd like to play devil's advocate here for a sec. Uh, isn't a coaching tool a resource? Yeah. Define coaching tool. Yeah. Um, so we'll go with like SWOT, SWOT analysis, which was kind of brought up earlier today. Is using SWOT analysis with your client, is that something that is a no-go zone? Something you don't want to add into the, the coaching session? So, so oh, go ahead, Lisa. No. No, you're here. You're visiting. You're not here every time. Okay. I'm here every week. I, that's a good question. So if we're, right? It, it's just visual questioning, right? There's two <laughs> different ways we could look at it. In, in the flow of conversation, so I hear that you want to take this action step or this thing. Can we break it down into looking at it in smaller ways? Mm-hmm. We could look at the strengths, the weaknesses, the opportunities, and the threats. What would you like to look at first? That's cooperative communication. If at the end of the session, we said something like, you know, 
I think before you take this action, you should really do a full SWOT analysis on this idea. Yeah, this, exactly. That's giving homework and you don't do it that way. Exactly, precisely. Um, and, and so in the first instance, you asked permission uh, and you asked if they it was something they were interested in doing. Maybe the client even brings that up. I'd like to break this into uh, smaller steps. And, and then as a coach, could I say, well, uh, how, how do we, I guess we've asked then we would still ask. We don't need SWOT analysis, really. At, at yeah. any point. Now, what, that what smaller said, what what the smaller steps mean? Just stay right with them. We do use these kind of tools in intake sometimes, though, before you've even gotten to the meeting that, you know, where we will have them fill out like a an assessment, a life wheel, a, something of those that that nature. And that is done in, in essence, to inform us, but also to inform the client um, of what maybe work they want to do within the bounds of your session as well. Um, but that typically happens prior. Can you introduce those tools once you've already begun? Sure. How do you do that? You go, I have a tool. Take it and do it. <laughs> do it anyways. And if you don't do it, you get Karate chopped. No. <laughs> Lisa, karate chopping school of life, co life coaching. There you go. <laughs> so you, you're going to introduce tools as the client has provided you that information. It's, it's really interesting that the client does tell you when that tool is welcome to be invited. And, and they do. They, they may not know the name of the tool. They may not know what they're talking about. But because you know the tool it can get integrated in that fashion. Would you agree, Dan? Mm -hmm. I would also say the, the, the caution, the difference between a tool and like a book or a guru or a read this by so-and-so is that those things are going to give you a process. They're going to give you answers. They're not letting the client think for themselves. A tool that asks questions, that encourages brainstorming, that isn't just saying you should do this, but it's another way for the client to explore their own you know, autonomy, uh, mm -hmm. those kind of tools are much more appropriate in the setting of a life coaching session or um, et cetera. But, but that's why recommending a book is maybe not always the right thing because you're giving them the answers in a different form. Yeah. I was going to say really quickly, when I think coaching tool, I think explorative. When I think resource, I think something you go online and, you know, you're sitting down and reading through it and it's got a, a statement to it. Uh, uh, again, a coaching tool to me is something that I see as a, an explorative type um, deal. Yeah, the, I think the tool helps create uncovery and discovery where the resource, when particularly when, with students, when they ask about giving a resource, it's more directed towards solving the problem rather than creating discovery. Yeah, but I mean, that's the difference between a student and a coaching client, right? Um, if you're coming to CLCI's class, we're going to give you a ton of resources <laughs> because that's what we do as a school, right? And that is what we're meant to do. But as a coach, we don't need to have that in our in our arsenal, right? Um, she says, I, I get I don't know a lot and press from another angle. One of the things I, I used this recently, and it was one I got from Lisa, was tell me more about what you don't know. And it, it worked beautifully. <laughs> um, so I, I thank you for that, Lisa, by the way. <laughs> Those I don't knows really don't have I don't know behind it. They're either nervous about saying it because other people have criticized them. Uh, they have been uh, <clears throat> unsupported in the directions 
or they have that fear of failure, that spaghetti against the wall concept. Let's let's even just have fun with this. Let's just be as silly as possible. In my uh, office, not this office, my um, coaching office, one of the things I did is I had a, a whiteboard, which was actually clear, and I would write on there all of the silly things. We'd put all the fun things. We'd put all the serious things. We just pl- plugged away at different information. And then all of a sudden that client has ownership of the direction, what they want to do, where they want to go, because now they haven't been shut down. Um, uh, they, it, I would call it a clear board, not a whiteboard. Yeah. But, there you go. Um, <laughs> the clear board. Yeah. Nobody knows what I'm talking about when I say yeah. that. Uh, I, um, uh, to, I mean, uh, with that, it was really cool. When I used that tool, that tell me more about what you don't know, even the, the client went, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, because it it's, it opens that up where you because sometimes it's just our default that I don't know is our default it's like our safe space it's the I don't really want to go there but I'm kind of because I just don't feel like it right now you know and so sometimes just asking him makes him go oh okay wait okay I do I do <laughs> and then we say that's a really good question so I can buy time to answer the really good question <laughs> Um, okay, let's move on to the next point. Anthony, do you want to read it? You're, you're awful quiet. <laughs> uh, number six, partners with the client to summarize learning and insight within or between sessions. Partners with the client to summarize learning and insight within or between sessions. I'm so, curious about that. I'm yeah, sorry. this one is a little curious to me. Yeah. So, uh, to I, get, I think we, we address this partnering sort of question. You, yourself, the coach, aren't. Okay, so let me, well... This could be part of reflecting back what the client just said to you, but also going forward and saying, is this correct? What I'm hearing a summary of what we've learned is this, this, and this, um, trying to get the client to either agree, um, or identify things that, what did they learn? I think that what you're talking about definitely applies in the coaching session in this space, because we're coming to the conclusion of the competencies. I'm going to go with that place of before they leave, what's their ownership in that process? What are they going to do between now and that next session? And what do they need to be aware of to follow through with that? That's that. That would be my take on it, since it's towards the end. I think it's also the O in the go learn too, isn't it? It's that that what is, which is our O. I know it's the O, but I don't know what. what I, <laughs> I think it's ownership. 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 There you go. You greet them, and then you take some. You go. Okay, so how, what happened over the last week? And you have that little bit of time where you can sort of summarize what's been going on and what do we need to work on next, right? Um, and the the word summary there also is make it brief like but let's wrap this up in a nutshell rather than rerunning the entire game tape just give me give me the highlight reel of the the touchdown passes and runs but i'm gonna i'm gonna ask them to give it back to me exactly yep not me give it back to them correct and we don't get mired in it either because that would just be coaching the ghost again that would Mm -hmm. be another uh, just another form of coaching the ghost it's just more recent it doesn't have to be too long ago it could be just you know a couple days ago so, um, all right, let's, let's talk about number seven because number seven is critical. Can we go back to number six? No, quick? we can't. <laughs> okay. All right. Move okay, on. Okay, what's what's important to you about going back to number six, Jerome? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> I was genuinely curious about this. Um, we'll go over it quickly. Uh, number six, partner with the client to summarize learning and insight within or between sessions. With the between part, is that you checking in with your client in between sessions or is that you asking your client? Because this is all them, right? So, okay. Did you learn? In this session, you ask them what happened between uh, now and the last session, essentially. Uh, it's not okay. that you're like hanging out with them throughout the week or two before you see them again. What happened for you in those other boring six six days, 23 hours that you weren't <laughs> in my glowing my presence. presence? Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, so number seven, my favorite one at all of them all. Celebrate. Go read it, read it, read it. Celebrate the client's progress and success. So you go out to the bar with them, have drinks, party at the house, do some drugs. That's what you mean, right? Party. And they buy because they love your work. Oh my goodness. What do we actually mean life coaching for partiers. Does that mean as a coach, I get to celebrate my success? Because I brought my client to where they need to, or Maybe does it with your you know, friends when the client isn't present? And you sure go ahead and take all the credit you want, but, but in front of your client, you do not. <laughs> what we actually mean is that whatever progress looks like for a client, even if it's in a direction you yourself didn't anticipate, or you know, maybe think about privately. They've made progress. They've made some sort of work towards a goal. Um, Celebrating is critical. Like it is critical because we work and we work and we work and we work. And if we don't take that beat to have that celebration and that reward moment, we it's it's it. What happens is it you never get that that gratification. It doesn't solidify. It doesn't sink in, and it 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 can drain the life out of you. (laughs) Um, It feels like we're always treading water and never getting anywhere. And there's there's high five moments are huge. Well, and, and it's always in, in that space of waiting for the other shoe to drop uh-huh. versus celebrating that experience. It's uh, so if, if anybody's ever interacted with the narcissist or work, it's, it's a thing where you always feel like with them, you're chasing carrots, like you are, and you're never getting to the reward. There's always, there's always more work. They, there's never a celebrating moment and it's a bummer. <laughs> um, because you never, it's draining. It's one of the most draining things in the world. If you've had a boss like this or anybody where, where no matter how hard you work, they never give you the pat on the back. They never take, you know, acknowledge what you're doing. That is, I mean, that in itself can be one of the most draining and soul sucking experiences of your life. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Honestly, I can't mm, that's some tasty stuff. <laughs> you've met my old employers. <laughs> But you may, I mean, I'm sure everybody's experienced that at some point. And that is, um, that is the importance of that mile, setting a milestone and setting, having the celebration when you reach it, no matter how small or, and that's why for so many people that are goal oriented, um, and rewards oriented, you need that celebration to, to fuel the next step. Really. What, do you, and, what happens if you encounter a client who has a hard time accepting that sort of praise or success for like the small milestones, whatever they're so like, they got the blinders on, they have the goal and they're, they won't allow themselves to enjoy the small successes until they finally 
get that sort of perfection and they're sort of i think a lot of perfection beat the, beat the celebration into them is what you do at that point <laughs> um, the idea of this celebrate is not about us celebrating the client it's about getting our client to feel celebration mm-hmm. is due for them i don't know say it better dan it's pulling the awareness from them that they took the step and asking how do you feel about it what's your experience with it and then doing a congratulations so we don't throw the congratulations first just like we don't throw the resource first how are you feeling that you took this step and it could even be we've been talking about success maybe it's not maybe they took a step and it feels like failure that's what i was but the, re- the real success is the courage to take that step and let it be what it was well, and that's a how you feel in knowing that you even took the action to start moving even though it didn't necessarily go the way you anticipated well there's the negative brain bias thing we are mm-hmm. often very critical on ourselves we are as human beings we often are see ourselves i mean we are more quick quick to re- go to a space of self-criticism and and lack of empathy for ourselves and our own experience um, than we often are with others, right? So we can, as a coach, sit and see and see these successes, maybe where somebody else is only seeing the failures. And that's when you ask those questions to oh, maybe open them up uh, and open up their, their, their mind to the space that maybe this wasn't a failure. Maybe failures are just accelerators to change. And um, uh, <laughs> so there's a, there's a, a weight scale that John Gottman came up with through his research and development of watching couples and things like that. He said there's um, for every five negative, there's only one positive. So the one positive equates to five negative interestingly enough. So if we got five negative things coming on and only one positive, we can see how that negative bias kind of rules our world in a sense. I think Dan gives a great example of this in class is, is, you know, if you're walking down the street, the one where, uh, and you walk down the street 5,000 times, but one time you're walking down the street and a bear comes out and mauls your friend to death. That is forever going to be the street that where your friend was mauled by a bear to death. Mind you, you walk down it 4,999 times without this problem, but we, we will forever have that ingrained into our brain because that was a traumatizing experience, right? Um, and that's the street that I then put my enemies in shirts that say friends and we start walking down that street together. I love it. I love it. Yes. This is no, no, it's a good street. Walk down the street, friend. <laughs> All right, so let's let's on, on that note, and in our last you know few minutes here, partners yeah. with client to close the session. Number eight of eight. I'd like yeah. to think eight in the eighth one as well. It's very, uh, it's a, I think it was a deliberate choice on their part. I just like to say that. <laughs> <laughs> But I think it's pretty self-explanatory. I mean, we've kind of we've kind of discussed all of the bits and pieces of closing out um, the session with the client, what we're doing in the I, beginning. I'll say this though, and the most awkward moment is closing the session. Like that for me sometimes can be the most awkward, weird moment for me. Um, I don't know why. Not always, but it just feels like uh, okay, we're done now. Bye. It's, it's <laughs> the, it's the you get if you did know. <laughs> the same feeling you get when you're talking to someone and you're like, okay, like time to go. And you're like inching your way to the door and you're continuing <laughs> the conversation <laughs> and like, just, it just won't let you go. Even though you like got your hand on the doorknob, you're halfway out and like, 
just conversation is still happening and it's you're sending out signals like it's time to go, but the person's just going at it. Um, and it's a partners with the client to support the session is a very nice, polite way to say, Stop talking. We're done. <laughs> Well, I know Dan had a great question, though. What, what was your question, Dan? I heard you. <laughs> Brooke, I heard you say you don't know why. What if you did? Uh, what did I not know? <laughs> it, was so, uh, awkward. it was just like a few minutes ago. I've already moved on. <laughs> well, let's just pause here and let it catch up to us. So why don't I know? Uh, well, I, I do know. I do know. <laughs> and what is that learning that we are facilitating in this moment? Most of the time it's because, uh, I mean, actually, I mean, I've had both experiences where there was a very clear ending and where there wasn't. Um, uh, it's, it's, and, and, and it can be done very easily. Now I've discovered, I will say there were moments in my earlier in my coaching sessions where I, I was like, this is, we can't end ever. But now I'm just very kind of like, okay, this is it. We're done. Time is up. Time is, and I, I just remain conscious of that, that clock. And then I know when to start to, I, I know when to not ask that question, right? <laughs> Don't go here because if you go here, it's going to open up a can of worms and we can save it for next time if we need to go there. Um, and so that that is also critical. And I think that's something that you learn as a coach. And it's maybe not something that you can be taught necessarily is knowing when to, to not open up that can of worms because otherwise it's going to be no longer an hour session. It's going to be an hour and a half long session. <laughs> Um, I think the, the one that I hear the most is in sample sessions when I'm mentoring and we're coming around, we've met the threshold for the time, we've met, the, the client is nailed, they, they've, they've come with their, their action steps, and then I can't tell you how many times I hear, is there anything else? No! 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 Not there! Not there! No! You're done! Out the door! Thanks! What did you learn today? Next same time next week. Awesome. See you then. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Why was that, Dan? Why? Why? What? What? What happens when you ask that question? Exactly. At the end of a session. Oh, you you said it a few moments ago. It, you could open up not only one can of worms, but probably like a five-gallon Home Depot bucket of them. <laughs> and nobody wants that with worms. Around, you know, I don't care how much fishing you're doing. That's a lot of worms. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so that is it. We have wrapped up. We have finished all of the core competencies. I think quickly, we should just recap the, the sections. We could just say like one nice thing about all these core competencies. What did we learn in this process of going through all eight of them? What is our takeaway, our primary takeaway from all eight? We think about them all together about the new core comp. I really like the updates. I do. I think, I that think they are. I, th I think they're important. I think they uh, matter in the sense of it gives you what an ethical coach is in alignment with. I think it's also very cohesive too. There's no areas in this that are contradictory or are confusing. It's very kind of a straightforward, this is what we do. This is how we do it. Abide by this. And stay within these realms and i think they have laid it out in such a way that is is very um is easy to understand for coaches uh through this and grateful for that that's i like love the updates by the yeah. way and they when when we honor them and follow them as coaches they're really designed to empower the client oh, which is what it's all about anyway uh, yeah. 
that's what this coaching model is. I know one of the questions they asked us as a school when when uh, is when they int- or introduced these was how are you guys teaching or demonstrating the coaching model? What the coaching and that is this is the coaching model. This is the the definition therein, right? Mm-hmm. At least by ICF standards, which um, is the ones we abide by. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Exactly. Uh, My there are other, now, real quick, can we, there are other approaches, let's say, to coaching, but, but why do we choose ICF? I know we briefly, why is this for us, the, the end all be all? You know, it's like, they've set a standard. The standard is very workable and client centered. And I think because they are client-centered, it aligns with who I am as a coach um, and who I always have been as, if you will, any times that I've been a teacher. Um, it's it's all about that client. And it's not a place where I have to be the end of all the information. <laughs> I think, too, it also it makes coaching its own thing, right? This is not ethical, moral. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it definitely separates us from the consultants, from the therapists, from the, uh, the, the psychiatrists, from it all. Right. So coaching can stand on its own and and be, this is what coaching is. Whereas a lot of other, um, approaches can be kind of mired in that gray area. Right. Definitely muddied, muddied, not clear. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're not, as Lisa was saying, they're not only the standard, they're the gold standard. Um, And they're the biggest organization in coaching looking toward (laughs) doing this kind of work. Yeah. Um, Globally. 30 countries and 40,000 members. Well, and and, I mean, they're honestly, the U.S. government is the, has acknowledged them pretty much as the foremost governing body in coaching. So I, um, I, I am a supporter and I like it. And I'm a purist as well. (laughs) um i it's amazing when you just stick to this model and i've seen it uh, i've done and it's been a part of it it's amazing to see the way it works and how how um effective it is and empowering it is and it's simple it's always about keeping it simple anthony you were going to say something a few moments ago i'm not sure if it still works. Yeah, I was going to say my takeaway from going through the updated core competencies and um, would be that we're, ICF is allowed to change um, their competencies and not everything they say is written in stone for the end of time. They recognize that um, they've only been around for 26 years, 25 years. And relatively speaking, in the whole grand scheme of any sort of field of practice and learning, coaching hasn't coaching as a established field hasn't been around relatively that long. So they're still not I wouldn't say working out the kinks, but as time goes on, they're seeing what works and what doesn't. And you are able to trust that they are able to see, okay, this is what does work for clients. Let's adjust the core competencies to reflect that because we want to be going into the future, always improving the way we coach um, clients. And that's it. You're, you're right. They do a lot of research. They don't just up and decide. They put have a lot of research through the years. They're, they're asking 
clients, they're asking coaches. There's a lot of research behind what they've been investigating. And, um, and I'm, I'm very skeptical of institutions that are just the way they are for 50 years. If they're not able to change and adapt, um, that tells me that there's something wrong. And the fact that they are able to update their competencies frequently or relatively frequently uh, lets me know that there is they are improving and it's yeah. you know what you want to stick with. I think so I hear you saying in there that they are embodying Virginia Satir's I am okay poem. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have that memorized, yeah. <laughs> Jerome, final thoughts? Yeah, I'll say uh, having gone through all of these um, and of course getting certified by CLCI and getting your fair share of coaching in between, um, you'll be able to change plenty of lives. Uh, I can tell just as if you're an aspiring coach um, and be able to charge whatever you want doing it. Um, really, it's gratifying work. And uh, again, I think we, again, like what I really want to touch on what Brooke mentioned was the cohesiveness. It really does kind of mesh well together and it helps make sense. I appreciate the ICF for having kind of really me going over the previous core competencies kind of there was a there's a few areas where I kind of didn't completely understand maybe that was just because I was new to the coaching realm but coming across these new uh, sets of core competencies it makes things much easier on me and I'm thinking uh, you if you are hypothetically a new coach um, it's going to make things a lot easier on you for any aspiring coach I want to say hi to Ernest he was giving us some uh... even well it, I don't think it has to be an aspiring coach I think uh, present yeah. coaches you want to be in the know, you better know these. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just saying. Um, if you want to be a coach that's, that's on the cutting edge, that's, that, that knows what's going on in the coaching world, it's probably important that you are aware of these updates. And some people will say, I don't want to be, I don't want to be stifled. This is not stifling by any means. This is much more freeing than what probably you would imagine. Yeah. The first time you read them, you might feel like there's all these rules. What do I do? There's so much freedom within these rules. It's so, amazing. You have to know the rules to know how to work within them and make them whatever. Finger pointing. Okay, everybody, finger, point your finger. Point. You gotta know the rules to know how to. You have to know the rules to know how to break them and get away with it. <laughs> but in this case, we're not breaking them. So. No. And if ICF is watching, we would never dare break the rules. I have the coaching police on speed dial. <laughs> um, all right so that's it we are done uh it is time thank you guys so much for watching and we have um covered all eight core competencies that's exciting and check out certified life coach institute we certified coaches in our icf accredited in three days so we're award winning as well. yes. <laughs> all right hey everyone thanks for tuning into today's episode once again, this is brought to you by Certified Life Coach Institute. We're an ICF accredited school who certifies our life coaches in three-day online intensive courses. In addition to other podcast episodes, feel free to check us out every Tuesday at 4 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time on YouTube or Facebook for our CLCI Lives, where we get together and discuss various topics that are centered around sharpening your skills so you can become a better certified life coach. For more information, feel free to visit us at certifiedlifecoachinstitute.com. Until next time, be well.